the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all in all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the river, out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, and, and with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were administering or ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, this is one of those great Sundays where I get to preach in my snow boots, and uh, I know that quite a few of you had to trudge all the way over here or, or brave some difficult roads, so um, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, today, in fact, all this winter, we are going to be studying the first half of the Gospel of Mark, and the first half of, of this book attempts to answer a seemingly simple question. The first half of Mark tries to answer the question, who is Jesus? And that might sound simple, but what I think we're going to realize over the next few weeks and months as we look at this passage is that this is one of the most important questions that we have to answer in this life. This is a question that we have to come up uh, with an answer for. And so if you come this morning uh, hearing this as a skeptic, knowing who Jesus is is important because it makes all the difference. It changes everything if this is true. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means that, that God has come to earth. It means that we have to take the words of this book seriously. It means that there is a purpose for this life and there is a meaning to it. And if you come to study this book today as, as a believer, 
if you would consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then we should constantly be asking the question, who is Jesus? Paul tells us that as Christians, our destiny is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Romans, he says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so that means as we find out who Jesus really is, when we see who Jesus really is, we get a clear picture of who we are becoming. Seeing a clearer picture of Jesus exposes the sin that lives in our hearts. Seeing a clear picture of Jesus shows us the abundant grace that God has given us, and it, it reveals to us the glorious life of living in submission to God. So, uh, all that to say, there's no way around it. We need to ask the question. We need to come up with an answer. And that's exactly what Mark's going to do for us over the next few weeks. And this morning, the first thing he's going to show us, the first answer to that question of who is Jesus is this. Jesus is both the messenger and the message. Jesus is both the messenger and the message. Now, we see that here by looking at three things. First, the message given about him. Second, the message that comes from him. And then finally, the response made to him. So we see the message about him, the message from him, and the response to him. Okay, so let's start with the, the message about him. I really like Mark. It, it might be my favorite of all the Gospels. If you're not all that familiar, uh, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and they all tell the story of Christ's life and his, his works. Um, they tell us what he came to do, what he did. And Mark stands out from those Gospels for a couple of reasons. First, it stands out because it is the earliest of the Gospels. Um, I know if you have a Bible, it comes second in the New Testament after Matthew. But it was actually written earlier than that. Mark was written within the lifetime of many of the eyewitnesses in these stories, um, and it's told predominantly from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. So that's one thing. It's earlier. The other thing you might notice is it's a lot shorter. The Gospel of Mark is, is concise, and sometimes the transitions from one thing to the next are pretty abrupt, maybe a little bit shocking even. You kind of get the sense as you read it that Mark wants to tell us the most important things. He wants to pare down the story to the bare bones so that we can get all the facts we need. And uh, that's definitely the case today. You see that immediately as we start to look at it. There is no kind of warm-up chapter here. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So there you go. Boom. We're right in the midst of it. There, there's no warming up, right? This is not like a Harry Potter book. If you've read those books, you know there's always at the beginning a couple chapters at the Dursley's house. And you're like, okay, come on. Let's get, let's get on to the real story. Mark doesn't do that. Mark dives right in, and he tells us from the outset three testimonies about Jesus. He shows us three voices that try and tell us who Jesus is. And the first one, 
you may not have noticed, it's his own. He says that this book is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says, this is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's Mark's voice. And interestingly, that's the only time you're, we're really going to hear from him for the rest of, this, rest of this book. But then secondly, he moves into another voice. He's, he shows us the voice of the prophets. That, that second verse that's kind of justified in a weird way in your Bibles, that is a mashup of uh, the prophet Isaiah, but it also brings in some parts of Exodus and Malachi. And uh, you may know this, but uh, throughout the Old Testament, especially uh, in, in some of the minor prophets, there are uh, this, there's this running prophecy about someone who is going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. One of the most important uh, of those uh, prophecies comes in the book of Malachi, the last book in our Old Testament, um, where he says there's going to be one coming in the spirit of Elijah who is going to prepare the way for God. And then uh, in our Bibles we have one page between Malachi and the New Testament. Maybe if your Bible's like mine, you've got like this one blank page that says the New Testament in it. Well, this blank page represents 400 years of nothing. That one page represents 400 years without communication from God. It's kind of amazing to think about. I mean, 400 years ago, right? That was 1617. William Shakespeare died in 1616. I don't know if you know that. But imagine if, if that was the last time a play had been written. Imagine if, if no plays had been written from 1616 all the way up until today. Well, that's the way it was with prophecy. No one had heard a word from the Lord in 400 years. And then Mark tells us that John showed up. That John is the one that was prophesied. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness. He was the last and the greatest of these Old Testament prophets who had come finally to declare the Lord's arrival and to prepare the way for him. And, and look at you, you can see what he did. We read it already. It says that he came with a message of repentance for sins. That he was out in the wilderness calling people into the desert and he was baptizing them in the River Jordan. Again, you got to be familiar with your Bibles. you got to understand the Old Testament to grasp all the symbolism that's happening here. But maybe you remember in the story of the Exodus that God comes and he rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. And then he leads them through the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, right before they enter the promised land, they pass through the River Jordan. And here's John the Baptist out in the wilderness again, calling the people and saying, come out into the wilderness and get into this river. In a sense, he's saying, come back. Come back and renew your relationship with the Lord. Come back to those early days and, and get into this river and have your sins washed away. But that's not the whole message, right? He's saying, this isn't the end of the message. This is just the preparation. I'm just the opening act because someone greater is coming after me. And he's the Messiah. He's the one that the prophets have been looking forward to for hundreds of years. And then Mark says, in those days, Jesus came. In those days, 
Jesus came. Now, it might seem strange to you that the first thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of Mark is that he comes and gets baptized, right? This baptism that is about forgiveness. It's about washing away sins. Maybe you're thinking, why would Jesus have to get baptized? Isn't he God? Doesn't, isn't he sinless? Why does he need to go and have his sins washed away? Well, I think this is a, already, in the first few lines of the gospel, Mark's trying to show us what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be. He's already showing us that Jesus is not going to be the type of Messiah everyone expected him to be. But instead, well, think of it this way. He's God in the flesh. He is the one who is coming to forgive sins. But when he shows up at the river, he doesn't go to John and say, all right, step aside, I'm here. You know, Come on, I'm going to be the one forgiving sins from now on, so let me baptize you and then we'll move on. No, he says he submits to the baptism. Instead of standing in that place of authority, which rightly belonged to him, he stands in this, the place of sinners. He identifies himself with the struggle of the people of Israel. He's here to stand in our place. But just so there's no confusion, just so no one has any questions about what Jesus is doing here, it says that when he is baptized, the moment that John does it, the heavens open up, verse 11, and a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And we had that Old Testament reading today from Isaiah. Did you pay attention to it? Where, the psalm, where, where Isaiah prayed, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The exact same words are used here. It says that at the moment when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open and the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and God declared, this is my son. I have come down. So there should be no doubt. The message about Jesus is really clear. Whether it's from Mark, whether it's from the prophets, whether it's from God himself, Jesus is the son of God. He is the one who was foretold by the prophets. He is the Lord come to earth. He is the Messiah. But at this moment, he has not come in judgment. Instead, he's come to stand in the place of sinners. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. We have the message from Jesus himself. Like I said, I really like Mark because it, I, it is straight to the point. He, he doesn't make you wonder. It's not a, a mystery novel. It's not like a Sherlock Holmes story where all these kind of details are dangling and you're trying to grab them up and gather them and try to guess what the end might be. In Mark's account, Jesus doesn't leave us in suspense. He doesn't make us what we wonder what we need to do about his arrival. Instead, he comes preaching. Jesus shows up and he is proclaiming. He has a message that tells us exactly how we are supposed to respond to him. Open up your Bibles. You can look at it. Verse 14, Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, it tells us that what Jesus is doing is that he has come to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this before, but it's important to know that that Greek word for gospel is actually a very technical term. It's, it's an official proclamation, an, an announcement from the government of the country. And it's usually an announcement of victory in war. It's this declaration that, that the battle has been won. And now in the days before you know, instant communication, right, before text messaging or email, even before regular old letters, uh, this was really important, this message. The person who came proclaiming this news had uh, vitally important message that was extremely urgent and needed to be heard. And you could probably imagine, right, if you were on a distant battlefield or if you were at home waiting for a loved one to return from battle, this would have been great news to hear that the war had been won. It would have been reassuring news. It might have been that little extra boost you need, right, to that adrenaline to keep fighting a little bit longer on your side of the fight. That is, if it was the news that you had won, <laughs> that your side was winning, right? But if, if that news came from the rival army, it wouldn't be so good. Hearing that, that the other side had won the victory would mean a few things for you, right? You, it means you're going to have to start planning. You're going to have to start thinking about how much longer you're going to try to fight. You might need to start making some terms of surrender. You might need to get prepared to give up, get prepared to lose. So it's really interesting here that that's what Jesus is coming to proclaim. He's coming to proclaim a gospel, but as you read it, you find out that he's not only the messenger who's bringing that news, but he is the news. Jesus is not simply the person who's come to declare the news of victory, but, but he is the victory himself. His message was, God is coming to set things right. God is coming to set things right through me. The end of the war is just around the corner. And my arrival here is the proof because I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the one who's going to bring in this kingdom. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the news of the victory, and he is the victory. And that should be great news, right? Jesus is here. These people should be really excited. The, the war is over. But when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, how does he follow it up? You know, he doesn't say, let's party, right? He doesn't say the kingdom of God's at hand, you can finally relax. No, he says, repent. He says, turn. Isn't that interesting? Do you realize what that means? It means that, that he's bringing the message, but the message is, we're on the wrong side. 
He's saying that we are not by nature citizens of the kingdom of God. No. On our own, we are, are citizens of the losing side. We are citizens of the kingdom that's not under God's rule, but the kingdom that's under our own rule. The one where we call all the shots. The one where we live by our own instincts, not by the law of God. And he's telling us that that is a kingdom that ends in death. That is a kingdom that ends in separation from God, and it's a kingdom whose end is coming. It's a kingdom that will be destroyed. This week, as I was reading about the, the idea of the gospel message in history, this wartime victory message, one of the things I found out was uh, it was a, a war strategy to send people with false gospels to the battlefield, to send someone to another battlefield to, to tell the news that, that their side had lost elsewhere. That they would come declaring a false victory in hopes that the enemy would be demoralized. That they would stop fighting as hard. That they might come to an early surrender. That was kind of shocking to me. I mean, it makes a ton of sense, right? How would they, they check it? It'd be a great strategy. It'd probably a smart thing to try. But it meant that whenever someone arrived with a message of victory... Whenever someone arrived with this gospel message, there was an element of faith involved. You had to decide, are you going to believe what this messenger said? Are you going to take his word seriously? Do you believe that the war is really coming to an end? That helps us understand why when Jesus came saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, he said, repent and believe it, right? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe it. Because he knew we weren't going to believe it. He knew that because of our sin, our tendency is not to believe the good news and the glad tidings of God's kingdom. It's not to believe the good news of God's redemptive victory, but it's to believe these false gospels. The false gospels of the world, right? The ones that say the real victory in this life isn't going to come through submission and surrender to the Lord. The real victory in this life is going to come through something else. Your real victory is going to come from another king. We believe the messengers who show up in our life and say, money wins, right? Do everything you can to serve money because that's what's going to make you happiest in the end. We believe the messenger who says, politics win. Put all your hope in a presidential candidate. They're going to fix this place. They're going to set things right. We believe the messenger who says, morality wins. Just be a good person. Just live a good life. That's all you need to do. That's what life's all about. Pleasure wins. Do whatever makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. That's what's going to fulfill you. That's what's going to make your life. But it's a lie. Those kingdoms, those kings will never satisfy you. 
They'll only destroy you. And Jesus says they will be destroyed. The kingdom of this world has lost. And its end is near. The kingdom of God, the true kingdom, Jesus has come to tell us the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you see that? Jesus means that literally. He is the kingdom of God come in the flesh. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm right here. You can reach out and grab a hold of me. It's here literally, and it's, it's at hand temporally, right? It's in, the, the time is at hand. It's imminent. It's coming quickly. It's going to be fully realized in this place at any moment. Later in this book, in chapter 13, Jesus is trying to get this point across. And he says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as a branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Jesus is here. And he is not just the messenger, right? He is the message itself. And as surely as, as the springtime leaves on a tree mean that summer is around the corner, Jesus is telling us that his arrival means the day of God's victory is at hand. It can come at any moment. The day when our king is coming to set everything right. The day when he is coming to wipe out everyone who's opposed to him. To end wickedness and pain and suffering and, and poverty and racism and injustice. That moment will come any minute. That's his message. He says, believe it. Believe the good news. Believe the good tidings of the kingdom of God and repent. Turn. Leave the losing army and join the victory party. Renounce your citizenship in the city of pride, in the city of self-righteousness. And let God plant the flag of his redeeming love in your heart. He says, repent. And do it now. Do it now for, for the first time or do it for the 500th time. Declare that Christ is your king and turn away from, from the treasonous country and come to him for a full pardon. For complete forgiveness. That's the message that Jesus has to share. He says the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. Turn. And then the last thing we come to in this text is uh, the response that people have to that message. Look with me at verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. This last picture of these four men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, is a great picture of what happens for everyone who hears this good news and believes it. Two things first stand out. The first thing I want you to notice there is Jesus comes to them, right? Lest any of us who are Christians in this room think that the reason we are saved and others aren't is because we were smart enough to figure it out, that we heard the facts and they didn't hear the facts. We see here that Jesus is the one that comes to them. He's the one who comes to us. Jesus is always the one who comes to us. The sovereign God is, is the one who puts us in that situation that awakens our souls to hear his call. On our own, we're not looking for God. On our own, we're going about our business like, like these fishermen were, going about our day-to-day. But then God shows up and he says, come with me. If you're a Christian, you know when this happened in your own life. It always happens a little differently, right? Maybe he did it through a moment of crisis. Or maybe it happened through kind of a slow warming of your heart over many years. Maybe through the exposure to God's church and to his people. Maybe he's doing it for somebody here right now. Maybe right now is the moment when you're hearing him say, why don't you follow me? I wouldn't be surprised. That's how he works. This is how he operates. We're, we're not looking for him. He comes looking for us. Romans 3 says there is no one who seeks after God, not even one. But there is a God who seeks us. And he says, repent, believe, and follow. So first, Jesus shows up. He comes to them. And secondly, when he comes, he transforms us. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Whenever Jesus calls us, there is power in his call. There is not a lot different between this moment right here and the moment when God says, let there be light. When Jesus calls these men, he speaks their faith into being. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. When Christ calls us, we become a new creation. He transforms us. He makes us into something new. And how does he do that? Well, uh, this is the part these guys could not have possibly known, right? We're in chapter one of the story. But Mark, who wrote the story, he did know. Mark knew how this was going to happen, how he was going to transform these men. And the way that was going to happen first, Jesus does that by forgiving our sins. We already talked about how in these opening passages, Jesus stands in the place of sinners in allowing himself to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of the work that is going to be completed on the cross when he stands in our place and pays for our sins 
by his death and declares his victory by resurrection. So he does it by forgiving our sins. He does it by renewing us with his spirit. I said we're not looking for Jesus. It takes his spirit to awaken and enliven our hearts. It takes his spirit to make us believe that that gospel message is true. It takes the spirit to believe that the gospel of this world, those false messages are false. And the final thing he does is that he conforms us to his image. Jesus started out his ministry with a purpose. Jesus came calling people into God's kingdom. He came to give us victory over sin and death and to welcome and invite people into the household of God. And folks, when that happens to you, when the Spirit comes into your life and, and wakens your soul, when Jesus gives you that new identity, not as citizens of this world, but citizens of God's kingdom, he changes us. Like we said way at the beginning, that, that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. When his Spirit is at work in our life, then we cannot help but become like Jesus. When we have been called by the messenger, we can't help but become messengers ourselves. Men and women who declare that same good news to the world. Men and women who bring the glad tidings of God's kingdom to people who haven't ever heard it. Men and women who invite people to repent and believe and follow along with them. So the message at the beginning of Mark, it's clear. The message about him is clear. Jesus is the sinless son of God, come to stand in the place of sinners. And the message that Jesus declares is clear. God's kingdom is here. It's right around the corner. It has come, and it is coming in full. So today, as we hear it, as we see what has been provided for us in the death and resurrection of Christ, let's respond. Let's respond to this abundant grace. Let's repent. Let's believe. And let's carry this good news to the world. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Jesus. And we're grateful for this word that you have called good news. The declaration that, that you have won and that you are coming again to set all things right. Lord, I thank you for your son who stands in our place, who pays the penalty for our sins, but who doesn't leave us in our sins, who transforms us into his image. Father, I pray, God, that you would make us new. Lord, as we begin this new year, as we study this new book, Father, would you transform our hearts and our minds to make us more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.